When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. Like beer? I don't know if you do. Okay. you like beer, Senator, or not? Um, Mom, I want a vape. Nude pictures of Trump. Come on now. Don't mess with me. The Betches Sup Podcast. How dare you? Hi, everybody. This is Amanda here. I am back with Heidi Seek, founder and CEO of Vote Pro Choice. Welcome, Heidi. Hello, Amanda. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So I like to start pretty broad with our guests. So I just want to know what do you do and why and what path did you take to get here? Oh, what a wonderful (laughs) story that is. So Vote Pro Choice was founded as a simple down ballot voter guide for the 2016 election. And what that means is we discovered that about only about 15% of people actually fill out their entire ballot. So we wanted to make mm. sure that, you know, what I mean, like you vote for president and senator, and then you kind of stop when you look at the courts and the school boards and all that. And so we really wanted to make sure with Hillary Clinton on the top of the ticket that everyone was voting all the way down the ballot because we knew that lots of pro-choice progressive women were going to be voting and we wanted them to be selecting things down the ballot. So Vote Pro-Choice started with a concept of if voters know who's on their ballot and the, and the issues that they care about, um, they'll keep on going down the ballot. Um, and that's based on a lot of different um, pieces of history and voter behavior and um, voter engagement and content um, research. Mm-hmm. But how did I get there is the real question. <laughs> uh, I've been working in reproductive rights since, oh, the ancient dark ages. Um, I've been doing this for 30 years. Wow. And my first job out of college was in Planned Parenthood of Lincoln, Nebraska in the late 80s. And that was a time when we were still under the gag rule. So when we were talking to patients in the clinics, we couldn't actually provide full information about their options. Even though Roe v. Wade was, in theory, the law of the land, meaning abortion was protected. So we couldn't actually tell patients that that was an option for them. So that was my first experience. I'm I'm 17 years old. I'm in school, and I'm doing um, clinic intake, right, Mm -hmm. and learning about sex ed and also seeing the protesters and also seeing the shaming that people were inflicting upon these women who were just trying to make good choices about their lives and their economic situations. And so the next step for me was I started working in the unicameral of Nebraska. This was 1990s. And it was the first, the introduction of the first, what was then called the partial birth abortion ban. And it was the beginning of what has now become the chipping away of our reproductive rights. And it was the very first litmus test and the first 
attempt that the um, conservative movement had started to try to do these templated pieces of legislation throughout the country. And so that began my curiosity about what the hell is going on, frankly, because I saw what was happening at Planned Parenthood and the choices these women were making and the stories that these legislators were telling about these pieces of legislation. And it, and it instilled in me uh, kind of a, a deep anger about the two realities, the reality of people's lives and the reality of the policymakers was completely different. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have been passionate about connecting those two realities, reproductive freedom and policy, and um, making sure that we are engaging voters to elect the right people for 30 years. And that's certainly led me down a lot of paths of different um, jobs that I've had, including civic technology and working on lots of presidential campaigns and just being really engaged and also really old. (laughs) But it all came back to, in 2016, what is the best possible thing that we could do to make sure that we are successful? And now that we know what has happened in 2016, there's a lot at stake. And so we decided to keep Vote Per Choice moving and going as the largest platform to engage pro-choice voters with pro-choice champion candidates throughout the country. And we've been doing that for the past four years. Wow. So a long answer to your question, but I think it's important to um, understand that there's been a massive divide that's been going on for 30 years between pro-choice voters pro-choice candidates and the policies that are being passed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope we get to talk about today. I also have a question. So as somebody who's been really engaged with reproductive rights for her entire, for their entire career, I'm sure that you are aware, I think sometimes conservatives are even more aware before this election than, than people on the left that um, they're very good at animating a voter base to choose judges. And I'm sure you knew sort of leading up to 2016 that that was something that was really animating particularly conservative voters ahead of Trump's election Mm -hmm. because judges, specifically Supreme Court judges, can have a huge impact on um, the status of reproductive rights. Is that something that you guys were sort of thinking about as you were? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because when you get down the ballot, that's where the judges are. are. No one knows anything about them, right? And I'll be honest, the political, there's a lot of political organizations that do not, that are focused on all kinds of other engagement and information and voters, but there really isn't a lot to focus on judges on mm-hmm. the non-conservative side, yeah, the progressive exactly. democratic side, not at all. Right. So we were tr- we have attempted to do research all the way down the ballot to help people vote um, their values, particularly for judges and school boards and all of that. But we can talk about that. Cool. Then. Yeah. Have, so yeah, can you talk about some of the successes you've had with vote mm-hmm. pro-choice and some of the things that you've implemented that have worked and what you've learned so far, especially since 2016? Mm-hmm. Everything for me is in the context of. Uh, the system as it exists. Mm. So here's the foundational premise of vote pro-choice is that we are a pro-choice nation. We know that from all of the polling information, all of the voter behavior, well over 70% of American voters, including Republicans, Democrats, independents, believe that Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. In fact, the, the polling data is nearing the mid-80s for Roe v. Wade should not be overturned. We also know people have different perspectives on limitations to access, but in inherently Mm -hmm. United States of America, everyone listening, is a pro-choice nation. 
And that has connotations for a lot of the ways that we approach a lot of our political work. So it infuriates me when a candidate running for office is not willing to stand and say, I'm a pro-choice candidate. It infuriates me when people say, well, I'm personally pro-life, but you know, I hate that. I hate it. In fact, I hate the fact when elected officials or people running for office aren't willing to really stand by their values, particularly on the Democratic and progressive side, because on the conservative side, they're perfectly willing to right. go for it, take away our rights, control women's bodies, all of that. So vote for choice is inherently focused on how do we close the gap between the pro-choice nation, the voters, and elected officials who will protect our reproductive freedom. That's the bottom line. And so what we try to do is use, we're basically a technology company. We try to use a technology digital infrastructure that is in the form of a voter guide that allows people to have fully informed information about everything on their ballot including endorsements and recommendations of both pro-choice organizations, vote pro-choice, as well as anti-choice organizations and the NRA. So you can see everything on your ballot and who's supporting who, so you can make that decision. It also is very um, designed so you can easily take the ballot into the, into the voting booth with you, and it has a make a plan to vote, and it puts a little reminder on your Google calendar. Awesome. That has proven people love this voter guide. And we've had different kinds of engagement over the last four years. This year, we engaged 4.1 million voters who wow. were engaging with the voter guide and using it. In, and this is the key for 2019, which is what we were really attempting to promote. Um, people ve get very focused on these federal elections. They're they very excited about 2020. But in 2019, there were 49,000 races on the ballot in 34 states, and people weren't paying attention to those. No. And these are critical, critical down-ballot races that have impact, direct impact on people's lives. Yeah. Can you talk about why local and state-level elections are so important, especially when it comes to reproductive rights and access? Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> Um, there, there are two, this is one of the reasons why Vote Pro-Choice launched a report this year to really explain how every single race on the ballot, every elected office has direct impact on reproductive freedom. And it, it can be in two major ways. Okay. Well, three. Yeah. The first major way is clearly federal policy and, and um, decisions um, that are made at that level. So we want to make sure that we're electing, at the federal level, pro-choice candidates who are going to protect our rights at the federal level and also appoint judges, particularly federal judges and Supreme Court judges, who will protect um, our rights to body autonomy. That's important. The second piece is local and state actually have a lot of community-based access to reproductive freedom. So, for example, a mayor can choose to promote a policy of protection for abortion clinics. A mayor can also propose to limit fake clinics in a community. A mayor can also support coverage of um, abortion care and reproductive health care in city health care service policies. 
for, those are just a couple of examples. And it also leads to other um, supportive policies like childcare and flexible, care, flexible work hours and all that because often cities can be one of the number one employers. Right. So then let's talk about the law enforcement system. So let me t- a story about a young woman in Indiana. Her name is Priva Patel. And in 2016, she decided to induce a miscarriage, I think, at 23 to 24 weeks. She was arrested and charged and charged with, I believe it was 20 years for murder. And she served um, eight months in jail um, for inducing a miscarriage. And if you think about all the elected officials that were involved in that process, that this young woman who was doing her best and taking into her own hands the trajectory of her future, it was the elected coroner, it was the elected sheriff, it was the elected district attorney, the elected public defender. The judge was not elected, but he was appointed by, yep, you guessed it, Governor Mike Pence. And... Creating an environment in Indiana of elected officials surrounding her, well, the state legislatures who passed these policies to say that these women should be charged with murder. And we are saying, I want to reiterate, it was 2016 that this happened. So it is urgent, absolutely critically urgent, that we are electing people who are open and supportive of reproductive freedom at every level of government. The third piece is these are leadership development pipelines. So- Interestingly enough, you got to elect pro-choice agricultural commission commissioners, statewide pro-choice agricultural commissions, because it's one of the number one pipelines to governor in mostly red states. Isn't that wild? It is. I, honestly, my mind, you're like blowing my mind just to think you're right about the matrix of all of the choices that are made mm-hmm. by so many different people who we choose when deciding whether that woman is a criminal. Yep. You just sort of tend to think of it as like, the laws suck, but that's what they are, and they sort of passively are enforced, mm-hmm. and nobody had any choice, but they were all choices that all were made them choices. by people that... Sheriff decided to put her in jail. Yeah. And um, we, a district attorney chose to prosecute the case. Um, the, one that I'm, the one that I want to make sure that we think about is there's a lot of energy that went around to our parental notification, meaning... Mm-hmm. Um, if you're younger than 18 and you choose to get an abortion, you have to notify your parents. Okay. Or they have to sign off. There's a lot of crazy laws like that throughout the country that limit our access. And if you are a victim, you can't have your parental notification if you're a victim of incest or assault or rape or you don't or religious. There's religious limitations. You have to go to a judge or sometimes a clerk that's elected to get a judicial. Yeah. What's called a judicial bypass. And there was some research done by. Um, some of the folks in the reproductive rights movement and called up county clerks and these clerks of the courts and judges and to ask them if they had a process in place where these these parental notification bypasses were there, and they didn't. So yeah. it meant that women who were um, seeking a judicial bypass actually couldn't have access to abortion. Wow. They were forced to have those children. Wow. That's and that's where we're at. Yeah. You know, that, that's what... That is so creepy about the situation where we're at. And a lot of people want to think it's like a new thing or it's just happened or the energy has just happened because we have this crazy misogynist in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a current article that was written by the New York Times that talked about the disconnection of the reproductive rights movement. And it, it made the connotation that it started in the Obama administration. 
But what I want to tell you all is from a person who is old and has been watching this happen for the last 30 years. This started to happen in the 80s, yeah. this chipping away. And, and that's, that's a bit like the slow burn. And now it's on fire. And that's, here, that's where we are. And I, I hope it's not too late. And that's why Vote Pro Choice really exists, is we have to intervene as much as we possibly can right now. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes... But beyond that, too, since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great. It looks fancy on the shelf. And I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And so what were you saying? I think I, I interrupted you. You were talking specifically about the role of the agricultural <laughs> person that is connected to the governor. No, the, the, the one of the interesting, it's about leadership pipelines, right? Yeah. When electing pro-choice champions at the, at the local level is also about leadership pipelines. You heard it from Amy Klobuchar on the last presidential debate where she was like, I was a district attorney, yeah. you know, and I started as a district attorney. Um, you know, same with Kamala Harris, started as a district attorney, and now they're both amazing human beings running for president. So many people start, uh, Joe Biden started as a public defender. So you think about leadership pipelines, uh, lots of folks start at that local level, and you want to make sure that you are elevating and lifting up great folks at the local level um, so they can eventually become presidents of the United States, Supreme Court justices, yeah. all of that. And people that from the get-go are are, pr- are declaring their support mm-hmm. for these things so that you're not 
I mean, not that I'm sympathetic to politicians that refuse to sort of have a wholehearted support of reproductive rights, but if you start without that, it is harder as a politician sometimes to change your mind when people elect you or to, even if their mind, they always felt a certain way to sort of change their public perspective on something. So if we can, even though I don't think they have, you know, a right to sort of avoid that confrontation, but if we can elect people from the beginning of their careers that we know feel strongly about this, then maybe they're not necessarily put in that same position later. You are making a very important point and one that I would like to expand upon and amplify, and this is very important, which is so many of us have internalized the attacks and the shame that the overly funded anti-choice conservative machine has inflicted upon us. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, we have forgotten that we are in fact a pro-choice nation, that Mm -hmm. most people support access to abortion and that we have internalized the fact that we are scared that we're not going to win an election if I stand there and say I'm a pro-choice person. Yeah. Ask governor governor elect Andy Bashir of Kentucky who stood and said I am a pro-choice governor, a governor candidate, gubernatorial candidate and he got elected and we have infinite stories about that in Kentucky in Kentucky we have so many stories like that we this is the other part of vote pro-choice is that we try to find these down ballot pro-choice champions and support them in their fearlessness for standing up for the rights because we can prove to them through data that you do not have to avoid the discussion of abortion or reproductive rights in any of your races anywhere. It will not lose you an election. And to say that, which we hear the progressive movement say it and the Democrats say it, and we sometimes think it ourselves that we shouldn't talk about it, right? And that is just not true. And now we know um, that abortion and reproductive freedom is becoming one of the number one issues as a voting mobilizer. It has always been for the conservative movement, but now it's becoming more for us. Mm -hmm. And we have to own it, and we have to actually hold our elected officials and our candidates accountable to standing ground and protecting our rights. There is nothing I hate more than an anti-choice Democrat. Like, it's just not a thing, and we have to make it. Yeah, Yeah. and I wanted to skip to a question. You know, if I live in a state where I can't necessarily assume every Democrat on the ballot is pro-choice. If I live in Louisiana and I'm voting for my governor, mm-hmm. they have an anti-choice governor. That's um, right. How can I make sure I am casting my votes for candidates who will protect my right to choose? Sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with these guides. Yeah, that's right. Um, that is entirely 100% what the Vote Pro-Choice Voter Guide is all about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, plug, early plug, mid-podcast, voteprochoice.us. Yeah. Sign up for that voter guide. We do a national voter guide in every for every election everywhere, all the way down the ballot. So that'll be on the general election that's coming in 2020. But we also do um, primary voter guides in certain states. So this year we're going to do Texas, Georgia, and Missouri, uh, and then some limited voter guides in places like Ohio, Indiana, uh, and South Carolina. So because we know that these are are states that aren't going to get as much attention as swing state, presidential swing states, they may not have a massive senatorial campaign. Right. Some do. Georgia does. Texas does. But some of these states just won't have the kind of energy that we're all focusing on. And so we are trying to create an environment where these down-ballot local folks can have a little bit extra love and start their their leadership development so they can become pro-choice champions that will eventually hit the federal government. 
which is a big mess, Mm -hmm. as we know. But I think for me that this is all about the hope of the, the hope of civic engagement in other places other than the drama of the national federal shit show that we have. Right. right. Can I say that on this podcast? Yes, you can say anything. It's a, it's just, it's just a mess. And, and we, we should talk about the, the real dire threats at the federal level, but it is a mess and it is dire and there's a lot at stake. And there, the hope is the activation of the voters. There are more of us than there are the anti-choice minority by far. We have to remember that. Yes. We are on a righteous side. We are in the righteous side of freedom. We have to own the story of freedom. We have to fight against the control of this anti-choice propaganda machine and start electing those champions at the at the local level, and it's totally doable. Right. It sounds like if, if there is, if it's necessary to make a distinction, it sounds like all of the sort of factors that you were talking about before, if sort of higher up the conversations are a lot about the right to an abortion. It seems like some of the things you were talking about were like your actual ability to access that right mm-hmm. and the factors that are either working for you or against you. And those are people whose job you put them, you give them your job by casting your vote for them. Oh, yeah. And you can actually on a community level make abortion more accessible for the people that live in your community. Yes. Yeah. And this is this is what we all should keep in mind that people will say what Roe v. Wade is still legal. Yeah. It was handed down in 1973 that did provide constitutional access to abortion up until viability. So, yeah, it's still legal. And these abortion bans that are flowing through the states are technically illegal. But what that does not take into account is for the last 30 years, hundreds of bills have been passed through the state legislatures to limit access, meaning 57% of this country lives in a place that is hostile to their reproductive freedom. So I grew up in Nebraska, and thank God I worked in Planned Parenthood and knew how to use birth control and did not get pregnant when I was in Nebraska because, oh, my God, it would be absolutely a challenge. It's like mandatory. I think it's a mandatory ultrasound in Nebraska. There's waiting periods. It'll take me three days to access it. You know, it's just it's not easy. Flash forward 20 years later. I found myself accidentally pregnant in San Francisco where I was working for the city of San Francisco and I had full and complete reproductive health care access, including abortion, that was respectful, safe, and entirely covered by health insurance. Wow. And it's like same person, yeah. two different locations, entirely different experiences. And this was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Think of, and it's only gotten worse. That disparity of access and the differences between our ability to say that we have full and complete access to reproductive health care services. Right. It's just a it's a totally different ballgame for so many people. And I do wanna I do wanna acknowledge that I'm using the word woman a lot. And we want I wanna call in the fact that this is not just a woman's issue. Um, reproductive health care access disproportionately impacts people that are gender non-conforming, non-binary, and transgender. And this is also an issue for men. I'm pr- I recently joined the board of Men for Choice, which is this own, a great new national organization that's engaging men in the conversation and activism as well. Um, and I hope I get this um, this quote right. Men are responsible for 100% of unintended pregnancies. Yeah. So... It's time for us to engage that conversation as well. And, and I'm, 
I, that's one of the issues with vote per choice. We want to try to just be practical tools to take action that's related to the reality of people's lives. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. So taking it sort of up to the federal level for kind of a moment, oh, yeah. how does abortion become illegal in America? Mm. What is that path? Is there more than one path that the anti-abortion rights movement is pursuing, mm-hmm. you know, an explicit challenge to Roe v. Wade or things that, you know, intend to regulate abortion out of existence or things that intend to do both? Um, how does abortion become illegal in this country? Well, relating back to what I said before, we've made it really hard to get in some places. Yeah. So extremely and highly regulated to make access really difficult. So is it legal? Yes. Is it easy to get? No. Um, And let's also just make the point that I think all of your listeners know that this is a healthcare service. Um, We should not, we should, there should be uh, accessibility to abortion for as many abortions as we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, no judgment and no shame, and we can talk about sexual shame at a better at a higher level in a minute. So, no. abortion is illegal. So we are very close to that. Um, Roe v. Wade could be overturned this year because there are roughly twenty cases in f- circling around federal courts that could be taken up by the Supreme Court that would directly overturn Roe v. Wade or set it up for them to have the conversation to return Roe v. Wade, overturn Roe v. Wade. This is what people need to understand about these abortion bans that are passing in states. These state legislatures know that they're unconstitutional. Their, their strategy to set up 
a process in different district courts, different opportunities for the Supreme Court to rule in different ways to either limit or overturn Roe. So you think about the 20 cases, you think about the abortion ban, just think of it as the overly funded anti-choice infrastructure, which has been building for 30 years, has now achieved its goal Mm -hmm. of getting these pieces of legislation in front of the Supreme Court. So what has the Supreme Court chosen to do? They are going to hear in March uh, a Louisiana case that is that is about um, lim- it's, it's about regulation of abortion clinics, and what's terrifying about this case is it is identical, almost identical, to the case that was already decided by the Supreme Court in 2016. That's the Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstadt, that said states couldn't couldn't um, place undue burden or all of these limitations on these abortion clinics. This is the same case, and the Supreme Court is going to hear it again, which means they could overturn the precedent of the previous case from two years ago, which is freaking terrifying because the idea of precedent is like the entire point of the Supreme Court. But we know this Supreme Court, with Brett Kavanaugh on it, has been willing to overturn precedent in previous cases, not related to abortion, but in other cases like Nevada v. Hall and some others. So we know that they're poised to do it. And I will say, this is a bit of a side note, but I, um, I, I lobbied as a form, like very formally against the Supreme Court nomination of Neil Gorsuch. I went in and met with senators. I was very clear, I'm like, yes, you know, we just don't don't believe that he should be appointed to the Supreme Court. Yes, he might be qualified, but we just don't agree with his perspectives on these things. We laid out the casework, and you know, granted, I went in an army, uh, you know, an Armani suit, wearing mm-hmm. my anatomically correct clitoris ring on I my finger. I was going to ask you if that's what it was after uh-huh. we were recording. <laughs> yeah, and my AOC red lipstick. Yeah. Um, and I did it very formally. Yeah. You know normal ways. And for the Kavanaugh nomination, I knew that there was more at stake and I knew that we were fighting against something much bigger. So I took a different route. I ended up being the first person to walk into the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on the first day of his hearings. And I threw myself in jail multiple times over a month. And we brought in women to tell stories about their sexual assaults. And I want to make the point, like, we were doing this work, this protest work, well before we knew about Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Mm -hmm. Because we knew, we knew that Brett Kavanaugh was a political operative. He was being placed on the Supreme Court. And there was nothing that we could do to stop it. So we had, from a regular, normal lobbying, talking to senators type thing, they had the votes and they were going to do whatever it took. So we had to do whatever it took. And that's not my normal strategy mm-hmm. of like throwing myself in jail and screaming and yelling and lay, yeah. laying outside in the, in, the, in the middle of the street outside the Supreme Court. Right. You know, I'm, I'm a grown ass woman. You know, I've been, th- I've, I've done, I've seen some shit in my life, <laughs> as I said in my last speech in front of the Supreme Court. Um, But this is what we had to do when we knew it was at stake. And so now we've got a Supreme Court that could easily choose to overturn precedent. This Louisiana case won't directly overturn Roe v. Wade, but it will definitely allow for a swarm of state legislatures to continue to limit access everywhere. And any of these abortion ban cases that are that are 
that are swirling up to be considered could overturn Roe. And um, just so folks, a little civics education, um, the Supreme Court could pick up, can decide to hear any of these any of these cases, anytime really. But their um, their session would end at the end of June. Mm-hmm. So we the clock is ticking basically between now and the end of June for them to decide what they're going to do for any of these cases. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's a lot at stake before June. And you think about what's going down in 2020. There's a lot of complexity about the presidential races, the Supreme Court decisions, and who the hell knows what's going to happen with other Supreme Court just uh, non, um, justices. We hope they're all well, they stay well, and we don't know what John Roberts is going to do. Right. And meanwhile, um, the Senate... Not only are they going to not convict this president likely, but they are also quickly appointing these horrific federal justice judges in all of these circuit courts that cause an even more complex um, phalanx of crazy for continuous suppression of reproductive rights in America. You touched on exactly what vote pro-choice does and how it can sort of educate you at the beginning. But now that people have heard you speak about like just how much um, being engaged in local politics and elections can help people around you who need to access this rights. Can you sort of explain again how people can use vote pro choice to make sure they are putting up candidates that value their rights and that they're doing so at every opportunity that they have? Yeah, there's three ways, really. Um, one is if you are a voter and you want to be engaged, you merely just sign up for the voter guides. Cool. Super easy. Wow. That's the number one product. You go to voteprochoice.us, you put in your email address, you will get notified when the voter guide is ready. If we are doing a local one in your in your area, you'll get a notification and you can just vote down the ballot and feel great about yes. yourself. The second is if you are a, um, a person that's interested in political engagement, we think you should run for office mm-hmm. and you're a pro-choice champion. We really we support down ballot pro-choice champion candidates, school boards. We elected this great 21-year-old helped elect um, this great 21-year-old um, named Tay Anderson who ran and won for Denver School Board on, sec- on reproductive freedom and, tra- and um, non-gender, um, gender non-conforming bathrooms. Wow. Um, that's who we embrace and elect. We love them all. We elected um, Allie Brown and into the Indianapolis City Council. She's a um, queer, um, bisexual, pro-choice activist who ran in Mike Pence's backyard. Mm-hmm. So we helped her get elected. And she's these. Is, if you're an activist and you think you might want to run for local office, down ballot office, even state legislature, yes, do it, mm-hmm. and we will help you. Awesome. And the other is we work in partnership. So that's another thing that I want to make clear is that Vote Pro Choice is structured entirely as um, an el- to elevate the entire reproductive rights and justice movement. So we don't work in competition with anybody. We include Planned Parenthood endorsements and NARAL endorsements and endorsements from hundreds of partners. Um, we had, I think... Um, 19 pro-choice organizations in our voter guide in 2019 and dozens and dozens of progressive organizations were engaged. So our job is to just lift up to for everybody. And we were able to engage millions of voters that way. So we're just here to be a tool to be helpful to those voters. 
And Heidi, where can people find out more about you and Vote Pro Choice? Well, you can find us at voteprochoice.us for those of you who still use the internet <laughs> and me at Heidi Speaks on Instagram and Twitter. Great. Thank you so much, Heidi. And we'll put all the information about Vote Pro Choice and how you can use it uh, in the show notes. Thank you so much. Betches.